morning, folks. Great to see you all. Still morning, I hope. Um, thanks, Audrey, for the, the worship. Uh, it's a real blessing. So I hope you're, the Lord spoke to you during the worship. And may the Lord continue to speak uh, through his word. So we're going back to, back to basics again. Um, we're, we're back into Romans, the book of Romans. And uh, for those who've been here for uh, a few weeks, you'll know that we've been going from Romans 5 through to, to Romans 8, um, essentially looking at the basics of Christianity, laying that foundation. Um, and as that, that book that I referred to, uh, it's called The Normal Christian Life. We're trying to see what is the normal Christian life. It, it's not the, as we said, not the typical Christian life. A lot of Christians don't live that life but it's the, the life that God expects we should be living. Um, it sh- should be normal to us. So uh, we're continuing that today, and we're, today we're in Romans chapter 7. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 7. And just the title of today's Talk is impossible with man, but possible with God. Impossible with man, but possible with God. And I know uh, John Solomon, he sent uh, an encouraging uh, text there during the week, WhatsApp, with that verse. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And I believe Joey was, was preaching on that last, last week as well. To you, Rufus? Saying, yeah, he said, nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's read this chapter 7, which um, <clears throat> is quite a long passage. And uh, Monchi has given me the, the okay to be a bit longer this morning. <laughs> she actually wants me to be a bit longer this morning. So uh, do, uh, let's, let's hang in there for this. It is quite a difficult passage. Um, another difficult passage. We seem to be coming through a lot of difficult passages at the moment. But it's quite a difficult passage. But um, I believe it is a very important one for us to, to understand. And I'll also be reading from Luke as well. Romans chapter 7. And just to, just to recap, sorry, where we came from. You may remember we came from looking at Romans uh, in chapters 1 to 5. It talked about how our sins have been forgiven by the blood. It's the blood that atones. There's nothing we can do. I think we've made that point. Our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. There is nothing we can do, no righteous act we can do. And then we look in Romans 6 about um, God dealing not just with our sins, but with our sin, the, the power that seems to rise up on, in us, the, the, the power of sin, and how we have been crucified with Christ on the cross. Our old nature has been crucified with Christ on the cross with Jesus. We've been crucified with Jesus. And how we need to know that, first to know it in our head, and then, as we said, to reckon it. To reckon it, to go, okay, I know it, and now I act on that basis. Like in the accounting, we talked about the money. We know there's 100 quid coming into the offering. We reckon it, we write it down, 
as 100 quid. So it's based on reality. So we know that we have been crucified with Christ and they were to live that life. And the rest of Romans 6 talks about presenting ourselves. On that basis, we present ourselves to God as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. So Romans chapter 7 then comes in and many people think that's, that's chapter 7 shouldn't be there. It should be before chapter 6. Okay, because chapter 6 is very encouraging about what, all that has happened, how God has dealt with our sin on the cross and how we can know um, that we, are, we have died to sin. And then in Romans 7, throws a spanner in the works. So a lot of people think, well, that, that chapter shouldn't be there. But it is there, and it's there for a purpose. God has not made a mistake. So, so let's read Romans chapter 7. Or do you not know, brethren, brothers, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by law, by the law, to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if the husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who raised from the dead that we should, who raised from the dead that we should be, sorry, that you, therefore my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we having been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not, or God forbid. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. 
But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I'll repeat that verse. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ of our Lord. So then, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Turn with me as well, just to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became sorrowful, very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it, easier, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Lord, I pray um, you will just help me, Lord, to um, do justice to your word this morning, Lord, and that we will understand uh, the power that is available to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So that, that uh, last passage there, it's uh, quite a familiar passage to, to a lot of us. And it highlights man's ineptitude, man's impotence, man's inability to save himself. So this man, he, he kept so many commandments, but Jesus got to the heart of the issue, which was the issue of his heart. 
because he had riches. Okay? And he was saying, you know, how hard, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And it's the same for everyone. We know it, that it's so hard to enter the kingdom of God on our own efforts. Not only is it so hard, we know it is impossible. It is impossible. But we know with God all things are possible. And through Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have eternal life. Not because of our own efforts, but because of what God has done. So we understand that. And we, I think... You know, we, we grasp that. But often, it's the next bit that we don't really understand. <clears throat> it's not just about us being saved, where God does the work and we can't do it. It is also living the life that God has called us to, do, to live. We cannot do it in our own strength and we know that in theory but in practice we try very much to live on our own strength and it is impossible it is impossible the standard that god calls for us it is impossible to live on our own strength we see the the example of peter if if many of you will know the, the story of peter how he was you know full of enthusiasm full of vigor and passion ultimately he was full of his own strength and how he failed you know at, at the at the critical moment uh, when he denied Jesus three times but Jesus was even though he was in the school of Christ so to speak for three years he didn't get it until after Jesus raised him from the dead raised from it was raised from dead and and raised him up as a as the kind of leader of the church the rock of the church and reinstated him and so it's a common it's a common error that we make we think in our own strength we can we can do it and then after a while we can't you think of the young christians you know full of the joy of the lord they run the race they fight the good fight they can't get enough of teachings they can't get enough of the word they're telling everybody praise the lord praise the lord for the enthusiasm and the the joy of of the salvation of of christians young christians they often put the rest of us to shame but even they will find at some point that they fail and they often fail when they least expect to fail they thought oh, they're going great and all of a sudden uh, they, they fall by the wayside and uh, the, the natural reaction is they're disappointed they think okay I they stuff, stuff themselves off and go again I didn't try hard enough try harder wasn't cautious enough didn't make enough resolutions etc and there's that whole um, pattern if you like of okay I've, I've, I've got to um, pull my socks up here and then when they keep failing as many of us have, I'm, I'm sure most of you, you've experienced this. The question then is, am I, a Christ, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? And, you know, we wrestle with this because our, our behavior, we know ourselves more than anyone, except for God, we know ourselves. And we know our behavior is, there's a big credibility gap between what we say we are and what we actually 
how we actually live out. So we question ourselves, are we Christians? And then we say, yeah, okay, I understand. I believe the word of God. I, I am saved because of the blood of Jesus. But we keep trying to do the impossible and, and we, can't, we can't do it. And so there's many, many Christians, maybe you're one of them, who has been on that journey, so to speak, where you know, you, you, you're full of enthusiasm, you love the Lord, and then you start failing, and you, you pick yourself up, and you get, you know, you get up, um, I get that, what's that song, I get, I, I get knocked down, but I get up again, you know, <laughs> but it's a keep, it's a, you know, getting down and getting, not, getting knocked down and getting up again, and you come to the point where you go, okay, I'm going to do the best I can, but let's face it, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and, and that's my lot, that's life. Okay, And ultimately, God does not expect me to have this continually victorious life. That's not his expectation. I'm a sinner. I'll do my best, but that's pretty much where it is. And so, as Christians, we, we do our best, but we don't expect too much. And I would say that's the lot of most Christians, a lot of Christians, possibly most Christians. But then you can come to a point to go, you read the scripture and you go, that doesn't match up with what I'm reading in scripture. If you really, if you really read your word, you go, that does not match up with what I'm reading in scripture. And that's what this chapter deals with a lot. If we look at the first few verses, we see a woman who is married to her husband, but it seems like a very um, unhappy marriage, okay? She wants to be released, essentially, from, from the marriage. They, they are essentially unequally, unequally yoked. And we're looking here at the law. Paul is talking about the law that we're under the law. And the analogy I, I, I read there recently, well, this morning, was this woman who's married to a man who is, has a very, very high standard. He wants everything done exactly right, perfectly. And she is carefree, easygoing, you know, takes things easy. And uh, it's... It's not a good uh, recipe for, for, for marital harmony, okay? Marital bliss. Because they're just, they're just not compatible. And um, so it's, it's not working out. But if he dies, not murdered, if he dies, um, it's a different ballgame. And she gets to marry another man who also has very high expectations. But the difference with this man is that he doesn't leave her to do everything, he helps her, okay? And so in the first case, the first man represents the law. The law is such a high standard. It's impossible to attain, absolutely impossible to attain. The law tells us what we should be doing, but it doesn't 
help us out to do it. It doesn't give a helping hand. And the problem with the law is the law is not going away. The law is eternal. It is God's standard. It's not going away and it's not going to die. Okay? And we see here in verse 5, even though it talks about the man dying and the woman being you know, free to marry someone else, in reality, the law is not going away. The law is not going to die. So we see in verse 5, or sorry, in verse 4, uh, Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So what happens is it's not that the law dies, the husband dies, it's that the wife dies. The wife dies. And when the wife dies, then she's no longer under the husband's control. Therefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. And that's how it is with God. We, we uh, are, are with uh, being a Christian. We have died to the law. We saw in chapter 5 and chapter 6 how we're kind of dying to sin. But now there's the issue of the law. It's such a hard taskmaster. There's no way we can, we can meet his, his high standards. Because he doesn't help us out. The law does not help us out. But we have died to the law through the body of, of Christ. And so now we're under a new law, so to speak, the law of grace. It's, a great, it's grace where God helps us. He gives us the power so that we can bear fruit. So that's all well and good, but we're, we're coming up to the, to the, the what I call the, uh, the head-wrecking bit um, that many of us, I think, think have experienced in, in our life. And Paul is, is, is very clear. He's not saying that the law is a bad thing. Absolutely not. He's saying the law is good. He said, without the law, we couldn't have known sin. And we couldn't have known our need for God. Okay? So, and, and if you read Psalm 119, there's, there's no doubt about how good the law is. The psalm is saying the law is better than thousands of coins of gold and silver. It's like honey um, on, on the lips. It's, the law is good. Okay? There's no doubt about that. But it can't give us the power to overcome sin. So what happens then if we delight in the law of God as this man does? Can the man who delights in the law of God fail? Do you delight in the law? I say most of us delight in the law of God. We love his word. We love to find out more about him. We love um, to go to conferences. We love to go to church, hopefully, uh, to hear the word of God. Maybe on YouTube or on YouTube, reading books, whatever it is, we want to know more about the word of God. 
and we delight in it. Can the, can the person who, who does that fail? That's what Romans 7 says. Yes, absolutely, you can fail. Because we're doing it on our own strength. There's been a lot of talk in, you know, in, in, in recent months in particular about people transitioning. Transitioning, with, it's, it's very much the, one of the buzzwords at the moment. And I think only yesterday I was, we were with friends, some Christian friends, and it seems like even amongst Christians now, the conversation always turns around, comes around to this whole issue of transitioning, transgender and all that, that stuff. And um, it's obviously a very, very big top, topic. The Gender, the gender Act, Gender Recognition Act was, was introduced a, couple, a few years ago. You may be aware of it. And, you know, it's very kind of pro-transgender, etc. Okay? The Gender Recognition Act cannot change someone from being male to female or female to male. Doesn't happen. I saw, I saw a, um, a, f a photo, I think it was a couple of days ago, of a, a married couple who had a child, a baby, man and woman. They looked like a man and woman beautiful looking woman and good looking handsome man until you, you kind of closer inspection it's amazing and I don't say that necessarily a good term but certainly it is amazing the power of science the power of uh, of the human mind to be able to change genders you know chemically in as much as they can I don't I don't know the full mechanics of it I'm no expert but certainly, when you looked at them, they had the appearance of completely normality, even though they completely changed uh, their genders. It wasn't the Gender Recognition Act that did that. They obviously used surgery, chemicals, etc. to change them. Now we know, of course, that the, the man is still a man and the woman is still a woman, okay? And they, they can't ultimately uh, change, but the appearance was that they had changed. We cannot change ourselves, only God can change us. We can have the appearance, we can have the appearance of being, you know, strong Christian, etc. But only God has the power to truly, truly change us. And chapter 7 here, the second part of chapter 7, is what I call, it's the transitioning, the transitioning phase uh, for a Christian. And there's several phases or sub-phases that you have to go to transition to become that person of God uh, that... Um, victorious person of God from the, 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 the sinner, if you like, who, who uh, wants to do what's right but hasn't got the power to do it. Just like that Gender Recognition Act. It, 
I'm sure the, the transgender community were delighted when it came out, but it didn't mean they were able to transition. And similarly, we might delight as this uh, person does in, in, in the law of God, but we have not got the power to transition. So I want to concentrate this morning just on that transition phase. That's what this is, this uh, second part of, of chapter seven about. It's transitioning from the place where we can't, we want to, we want to do the will of God, but we, we keep something inside us uh, keeps doing the opposite. And there's four types of man in this transition. The first is what they call the regenerate man. The regenerate man. And that is the man who has now a desire to change. They want, they love, as I said, they love the law of the Lord. They love the law of God. And you'll see for evidence of that in, from verses 17 to 22. He says in verse 18, for to will in me is present. And verse 19, for the good that I will to do. And verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. So there's many people who don't delight in the law of the Lord. Okay, it's just not natural for us to delight in the law of the Lord. But when you become a Christian, when you become a Christian, you are regenerated. God changes your heart you want you as i said you love god's god's law so that's the first stage in having this new life this victorious life is that god regenerates you he changes your uh, desire you delight the law of, of god But then we make a mistake where we think, my, my will has been changed, my will has been regenerated, and that's enough. It's obvious from here in chapter seven that that isn't enough. And we make a mistake if we think it is. And that's where we come to the second transition phase. We go from the regenerate man to the weak, weak man. He says, in verse 18, For I know that in me and in my flesh nothing good dwells, for to, to will is present with me, but how to perform what good I do not find. He, doesn't, he wants to do it, he wants to do God's will, but he hasn't got it inside him to do it. And I think we can relate to that. Um, we can often relate to that. We have the regenerate man who wants to do God's will, but then we have the weak man who knows, I just haven't got the power to do it. And what's interesting in, in chapter 7, from verses 6 to, to 25, there is no mention of the Holy Spirit, there is no mention of Christ. And what it is showing in this passage 
is a believer who is trying to do their best. They're really trying to do their best. But if you like, they're using the wrong pronouns. Over 40 times in this passage, we see I, me, my mentioned. That's their preferred pronouns, I, me, and my. We're trying to do it on our own strength. And we're failing. And ultimately, it is God who allows us to fail. Okay? So if you have a Christian and you've, you feel you're failing, God has allowed that to happen to you. Why? To see our own inability. To see our own inability. And when we really, really see it, we cry out like this man does, whether it's Paul or whether it's just a typical Christian. Oh, wretched man that I am. Wretched. We realize our wretchedness and we're miserable. A wretched man that I am. We're miserable. We cannot change. We cannot make that transition of ourselves. We're failing and we realize how far we've fallen short of God's glory. And so that, that, that's probably where, that possibly is where you're at at the moment. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe it's, it's sin. Uh, for men, there's, you know, there's terrible, sin, terrible uh, temptations with, with lust, with pornography. And it can sideline men with, with women. There's struggles. I don't know what the struggles are. Women were more familiar. But you think, oh, I'm, I'm fine. And then you fail. And you feel I'm wretched, a wretched man, wretched woman that I am. Now, some people, when they see this passage, and they, they see, will say, oh, look, Paul, look at Paul. He failed. Now, there's debate whether this is actually Paul himself or whether he's kind of just giving an example of someone. But the point is, some people use this and say, look, even Paul failed. Look, this man failed. And they use it as a pillow for sin. Look, Paul failed. You know, he sinned. It's okay to sin. If Paul has helped us, what hope have I? But the reality is, and we know it throughout the scripture, that God absolutely hates sin. God is holy. He hates, he abhors sin. And every time that we sin, we should be saying, wretched man that I am. We should be saying that. Not for self to condemn ourselves, but just a reality of it is sinful and it is awful. But as we go through that process, wretched man, I am sinful, it is the law is doing its work. And every sin that we sin gives a new, hopefully, as we transition, it's giving us a new intensity of what? Of our weakness that we realize we cannot do it. Our weakness, we realize we cannot do it in our own strength. And it's like we're captive. We're captive by the law. 
because the, we cannot attain we want to attain the standard of the law but it doesn't give us the power and so we say who will deliver me who will deliver me from this body of death so it's not like we're in the wrong body we've heard that before we're in the wrong body but in this case it's true there was a body of death here if you like it's not not necessarily our physical body and Paul isn't talking about our physical body but it's our flesh the body of death okay and it's their fleshly desires it's an image who can deliver us from this body of death and so the first lesson the great lesson here in in for a spiritual life is it is impossible it is impossible for man in our own strength to live the Christian life it is impossible and so we shouldn't be glorying in oh I can do this and I can do that we should be glorying in our helplessness if that makes sense glorying in our helplessness that Lord I cannot do this wretched man that I am but I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord and God does not work by his spirit like um, some kind of blind force of nature he leads us as reasonable intelligent human beings so when God wants to give us the spirit he first brings us to the end of ourselves okay he brings us to the conviction that we've been striving to obey the law but have failed now obviously there are some people who haven't even got that far who are like no I'm saved by grace and I can do what I want that is a false gospel but most of us we've we know we've been saved and we're following God we're trying to follow and follow God um, but God is bringing us to the place where I can't do it I can't do it by myself and we realize we need God's Holy Spirit I said again in Romans 7 18 to will is present with me but how to perform it I what how to perform what is good I find not I don't see inside me the ability to do it I wanted you to contrast that for a second with uh, Paul when he wrote in Philippians chapter 2 chapter 2 the end of verse 12 work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure so in Romans 7 it's saying I want to do it I have the will 
but I haven't got the ability. Okay? But in Philippians 2, it says God both gives us the will, we want to do it, but also the ability to do it. God gives us the ability to do it, to do his will. So the will, God, when we become a Christian, God gives us that will and it's a, it's, it's a permanent gift, if you like. When we become a Christian, we want to do God's will. But the power to do God's will is something we need each moment from the Holy Spirit. We have to receive it each moment from the Holy Spirit. So the second lesson, the first lesson, is that it is impossible. As, as, as humans, it's impossible. Even we become a Christian on our own, once we become a Christian, we have the will to do what, what God wants, but it's impossible to do it on our own strength. And we are under the law if we do it on our own strength. If we're saying, okay, I'm trying to do it, reach the law, without any power, we're going to be condemned uh, by, the, by the law. But God has saved us by grace and he wants us to live uh, by grace. So the second lesson, the first lesson, it's impossible uh, to do it for man, but with God, all things are possible. And uh, Andrew Murray, some of you may know the author, Andrew Murray, um, he writes that your Christian life is to be a continuous proof that God works impossibilities. A series of impossibilities made possible by God's power. How true is that in your life? How true is that in my life? See, God, he doesn't want us to, you know, do our kind of best and then get a little bit of God's power. That's not, mo that's not modeling to the world God and that's not giving God glory. We need the, his whole omnipotence, the whole power of God to live like a Christian. The whole power of God. Your Christian life is to be continuous proof that God works impossibilities. A series of impossibilities made possible by God's power. Indeed, the whole of Christianity is the work of God's omnipotence, his power, his all-powerful all God. We look at the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter, chapter 1. Verse 37. For what God, this is the angel speaking to Mary, for what God, all things are, for God, nothing will be impossible. So the, from the birth of Jesus, it was purity depending on God's all power, all powerful omnipotence. Similarly, the resurrection. 
according to the exceeding greatness of his mighty power, God raised Christ from the dead. According to the exceeding greatness of his mighty power, God raised Christ from the dead. So the whole of Christianity is based on God's omnipotence, God working through his omnipotent um, characteristic, if you like. If we look at a tree, you look at a tree, every tree, no matter how old it is, comes, everything that comes from it comes from what? The root of the tree. So even if you have a, an oak tree that's 400 years old, huge oak tree or a Californian redwood, whatever, it all starts at the root, the root. And the root of Christianity was God working through his omnipotent power in the birth of Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus. And that same root should be the root for our lives, that we should be depending on God's power, not on our strength. I hope this is making sense. So if we look at Abraham, Genesis 17, verse 1, God says, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be perfect. So we, need, we, know God's, we know of God's omnipotence in terms of when we think about creation, how God brought light out of darkness, how he made man from the dust. But do we think of God's omnipotence in terms of our own life and in terms of redemption. So in, in, in the story of Abraham, God trained Abraham to trust him as the omnipotent one. He trained him. He brought him to a land he did not know. He had to walk amongst the Canaanites, people he did not know who, who did not fear God. By faith, he had to say, this is my land. He had to wait for 25 years for his son against all hope. And then he had to believe that God would raise that son from the dead on Mount Moriah. So Abraham believed God and he was strong of faith because he accounted him who promised as able. So he believed because he believed God was able. He believed in God's omnipotence. And God taught him as he went. Our weakness is that we want to work it out partly by ourselves and then God to help us. Okay? We want to work it out in our own strength and then God to help us. And I think in this day and age, we have so many things at our fingertips, so many, so many resources um, to get on in life. We can do that. We can kind of get on by ourselves um, and kind of ask God to bless it and God to help us. But we need to be completely dependent on God's omnipotence. All God's servants throughout the Old Testament, you see their total dependence on God's omnipotence. Moses, Joshua. Yet we want to kind of just get a bit of God's help. It's not about getting God's help. It's about God, the omnipotent 
all-powerful one. That's how we're to live our, our Christian life. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. We're transitioning from having the will, but not the power. Realizing that we haven't got the power, the weak man. Crying out to God, O wretched man that I am. O wretched man that I am. And so the final aspect for the man, is the man on the, on the border of liberty. Or crying out, help me, I'm in this body, so to speak. It's not, re rescue me from this body. Our preferred pronoun should be he, him, and his. He, him, and his. It is according to his power. His power, it is in him. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So there are two, essentially kind of two types of Christians. Those whose spirit, the spirit of God is within them, but the flesh rules their lives. They do things by the flesh. And then there are those who walk by the Spirit. And it's no good if we studied our Bible, go to church, conferences, blah, 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 YouTube, etc. And we're not, our lives are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Our lives are not filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that is the power that God gives us to overcome sin to live a life of holiness victory purity etc it is not in our power to do it humility humility we've talked about this before humility that's where we get god's power humility where we realize we cannot do it we realize that we are weak and we ask God, oh, oh, deliver me from this body of sin. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ, who can and will deliver us. By faith, he will give us the power. He will give us the power. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do both to will and to do. So what are we to do? Come in humility. Admit before God that we are weak. There is therefore now no condemnation, it says in Luke, in Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh 
but according to the Spirit. If we've been trying to live our Christian life, do the best we can, maybe we've been discouraged. God has given us, we're talk, we, there's a lot of talk about identity and you know, I'm identifying as this, identifying as that, and, and people taking on their own names, etc. God, it is God who gives us our identity, God who gives us our name. And we are, we are children of the living God. But we must come with humility and ask God and say, God, I need you. I need your Holy Spirit. I cannot do it without your Holy Spirit. And by faith, by faith, believe that God is going to do it, that God is going to send his Holy Spirit to us to give us the power. And I know for myself, I feel, Lord, I'd love if that was a reality in my life <laughs> because I don't have enough of it. I don't have enough of it at all. But I don't want us to get discouraged. You may feel I'm not good enough. Amen, you're not. You may feel I fail too often. You cannot fail often enough. The more we fail, the more God shows us that we are wretched. We cannot do it on our own. But he says he will give us his Holy Spirit. He works with you both to will and to do. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. All things are possible with God. And so I believe God wants us to have a victorious life. And what this chapter 7 is really kind of getting at is you have to go through a process to get to that point where you go, the penny drops, I can't do it myself. I am a Christian, but I have been failing. I can't do it myself. I am weak, and God, I have to call out to you for your Holy Spirit. I have to call out for that power that, work, that raised Jesus from the dead, the one that is at work in you, and call out in humility. And to come and to worship God, to worship God as the omnipotent one, as the all-powerful God. Worship him. If we worship, we come down and we worship him as the all-powerful God. That will stir up in us the faith to believe he is actually all-powerful. Not just to create um, something out of nothing, not just to create the heavens and the earth, man out of dust, light out of darkness, but to give me the power to overcome whatever, whatever sin I'm struggling with. And if, and if, and if you think, well, oh, there's a sin I'm struggling with and I just, I can't overcome it. That is not true. That is not true. Because God is all powerful. But we do need to come in humility. I mean, I can't do it myself. I cannot do it myself. But you can do it by your almighty power. Amen. Father, I thank you that you um, don't just give us a, um, 
a desire to do your will, Lord, you give us the, the power, the power to do the will of God. You give us the power, Lord. And it's not of ourselves. It's not of ourselves, Father. And Lord, we, we just bow before you now, Lord, and we, <clears throat> we come before you in, in, in weakness, Lord. I come before you in weakness, Lord, saying, I haven't got the power to do it on my own, Lord. I have failed so many times, Lord. And I can look at my track record, Lord, and it does not fill me with, with confidence, Lord. But I want to look on you, Lord, uh, the almighty God, the powerful God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want to look at the cross, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to say, I believe that you are all-powerful. And you are able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, Lord, in our lives, in each of our lives, Lord. And you have created us in, in advance in Christ Jesus for good works. And you're equipping us, Lord. And Father, I just pray uh, for each of us, Lord, whatever, whatever we're struggling with now, now, Lord, that we will just come before you in humility, Lord, help us. Come before you in humility, Lord, and call out to you, Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, that you will send your Holy Spirit in a new way in our hearts, Lord, in a new way, Father, in our hearts, for you are able, you are able, Lord. Praise your name. Amen. Amen.